Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 1 through 16 this morning, and we're approaching the end of the letter for Romans. This is where Paul is beginning to wrap up, and there's still much that we can learn from this. This essentially is a list of names that is also a geography. It's a geography of grace. It's a geography of a beautiful community that has made possible what Paul was able to accomplish evidencing we can't do it by ourselves. And so we want to pay close attention to some of it. We can't mine it all this morning, uh, but it is, it is quite a glorious list of people and cadre of folks from all walks of life uh, that evidences a beautiful community in light of the gospel. Uh, and the thing that I want us to walk away with is that God uses a diverse group of people to contribute to our growing and serving in Christ. Let me say that again. God uses a diverse group of people to contribute to our growing and serving in Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Romans 16, 1 through 6. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Aponitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They were well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. I belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, other than being a great place for future baby names, this section, <laughs> this section of text just it really does teach us a lot about the ordinary means by which the Lord our God chooses to work and to, to spread the gospel. The, the, the ordinary and often uh, times that things that we overlook uh, that's displayed here in, in, in beautiful array. Like I said, I keep using the term beautiful community, uh, which is what they were. They, they ministered to Paul, and not just for Paul, but to the Roman church. And so uh, this, is a, this is an important thing for us to think about. And so by way of opening question, and this, this is a great question for you to meditate on this Lord's Day Sabbath and to even take the time to write down some names and I would encourage you, if you have the opportunity, to let maybe those folks know, if you still are in contact, some of the ways in which they've contributed to your growth in Christ. So uh, the first one is, who was it that actually contributed to you becoming a Christian in the first place? 
right? There's, and, and, and there may be history in your family, lineage in your family that, that led you to Christ in and through just a generational faithfulness, which is a beautiful way in which God chooses to work. But I've got good news. It's not the only way. He's not bound, the Lord is not bound by whether or not uh, previous generations were faithful. He can come in to a long line of sinful leaving people and create out of that uh, a, a, a saint for his glory, a vessel for his glory, which is maybe the story of some others of you. You, you did not grow up in a Christian home and you did not have a, a lineage of faithful family members, but the Lord used a, a, a variety of people around you. I was just recounting that as I was preparing for this this week uh, and thinking about some of the folks along the way who meant so much, even to be able to look back and see before I was a Christian how the Lord, his hand was at work, right? There was a, a principal uh, at Fairburn Elementary. His name was Mr. Ingram. And Mr. Ingram, uh, he had one of the last true uh, programs for to a normal classroom because of things like cerebral palsy or other profound disabilities. So he had the last program in the state of Georgia because they had slashed all the funding for those programs. But he was so passionate about these students and that they would be able to be cared for. In fact, the only time I've ever been suspended, and this is going to be shocking to you, I got suspended for a week. Not because I was fighting, which I did plenty of that, not because I cheated on something, I did a fair amount of that. Not because I stole anything, I did that too. But because I ran. I ran through that department. I encountered no one as I ran, but Mr. Ingram said, you could have hurt one of these children. You will take a week at home to think about it. And you will not be able to make up your work. And he also told me one time when I found myself in his office, as I often did, he said, you're going to jail someday. I said, I don't care. I'll fight there too. And uh, he recognized that there was something in that. He knew I didn't mean it. And he knew that I, I, if, I, if I were to focus on education, I could make it out. And Mr. Ingram was a believer. Now, Mr. Ingram never actually properly shared the gospel with me, but his love for me was just profound. And then there was a teacher in high school, an English teacher, who was a Vietnam vet, uh, who also in, invested in me and was the meanest, the hardest on me uh, of any teacher I've ever had. Uh, it, you would have thought it, that, that it would be the opposite for me, but no, I respected the fact that he saw that I could do better than what I was doing and that I was also uh, positive in the Ambrose Bierce, the devil's dictionary sense, which means to be wrong at the top of your lungs often. Uh, and then further along the way, there was a paralyzed guy named John King. And John was paralyzed. He was C1, C2 quadriplegic. I needed a third job. I worked for John for 10 years. John shared the gospel with me in word and deed uh, and, and provided a safe haven for me where I could not become what I was trying to become. And the Lord's hand was in all that. And, and with none of those people did I become a believer. But every one of them has a, 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 a role to play in me becoming a believer. Mama Gwen, I've talked about her before, who I worked with, who had the last laugh in the whole scenario. My wife, Susan, is a critical component in all of this. Her faithfulness and what she was going through. And so that's just a, a small number of folks just on the me becoming a believer side. Uh, and those folks have meant a whole lot to me. Some of them are no longer with us, uh, uh, but 
but I look forward to seeing them again someday. I'm sure Mr. Ingram's going to come up and say, I'm glad you didn't go to jail, but I didn't know you'd do all that other stuff, becoming a preacher and all. Uh, and so, but also too, it's, it's important for us not just to reflect on who helped us to become a Christian, but who is currently helping you in your service to Christ. Who, who's influencing you? Who's encouraging you? Who, we had the opportunity to go back to Macon where we lived for 12 years. I was an elder, uh, served as the missional communities pastor at a church called New City, uh, served at the rescue mission. I, also served. I don't know if you know this is on my resume. I don't, I don't highlight it. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I served at a post Bill Gothard church for a little while as an interim. Uh, they were sweet people, actually. They don't, if you've seen shiny, happy people, they would not be in this at all. They were just trying to figure out how to raise their kids in a world that seemed like it was on tilt. Uh, and it was interesting in the, in the sanctuary, there'd be 18 adults on this side and 80 kids on this side. And so if you didn't have 11 kids, you just didn't try. And so, uh, <laughs> and so it was interesting because the elder that actually asked me to serve them uh, was at New City this Sunday. And it was, it was a beautiful thing because I had wondered what had, had happened with him. His name's Tom Dunham. And I looked over and I said to Susan, that's Tom Dunham. Uh, and I got to go up and talk with him, and he said, I was just thinking about you this week, uh, how much you meant to our church back then. And, and so um, we were there because uh, some friends of ours who had welcomed us into their home on a regular basis and provided much food and laughter uh, helped me to realize that that had ministered to us as much as any of the discipleship stuff I had done with Luke. And so often we can kind of see things running one way, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm in the lead here, and uh, but, but failed to maybe realize all of the different people. And so it was a glorious gift to us, especially in turning to this text, to go back and see so many of those people who were critical to uh, who, who I am in Christ and who I continue to grow to be in Christ. And I'm sure you could list many, and I would encourage you to do it. it it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful exercise because it, it'll be humbling to you, asking the Spirit to show you the folks who've invested. Well, let's turn to the folks that Paul mentions, and we'll highlight a few of them as we go along the way. Uh, and so as he starts, he begins with Phoebe. Now, the language that he uses, this is the, the most that he has to say, uh, and the vast majority of scholars and theologians recognize that this indicates that Phoebe was the letter bearer to the church in Rome. Not only was she the letter bearer, but she would have also been the one to help interpret it at the various house churches. And she clearly had some position. Uh, the word here is servant or diakonos, uh, which we use to say the word deacon. Uh, if you look in your Bible, it'll have a little footnote and say deaconess probably at the bottom. Uh, and so she was recognized in the church at Censorea, which Paul had been to in Acts chapter 18, and made a vow and cut his hair. That's where we hear that name from. And so Phoebe meant an awful lot to Paul. Look at the way in which he speaks of her and calls for them to change. And he also says she's been a patron. And in, in Roman culture, to be a patron essentially would have been, she would have been a key financial backer for the planting of many of the churches that Paul was a part of. And, the, and his ability to do the ministry to which he was called. And so this ought to be a very encouraging thing to us. For those who kind of can, can only think of Paul's view of women from Timothy, uh, here he is showing a, a high regard 
and calling for the church to show a high regard for Phoebe and her giftings and abilities. Now, for those of you who are very nervous right now, let me, let me say this. Uh, this, is, this is not me sliding toward the EPC. This is not me trying to argue for women being elders. But what I would say is that, they, that women among us are co-heirs. They have gifts and abilities that we should recognize, we should honor, and we should benefit from. Paul does, and so should we. Jesus did, and so should we. Right? And then he goes on uh, to, the, to the next set of folks that, that should be familiar to us. He uses a different name, though. He, he calls Priscilla Prisca. Now, this could be a, a name of endearment. It could be that she may have had to change her name for safety reasons because of the work that, uh, that Priscilla and Aquila were doing. You may remember them. They were critical to a young man named Apollos. Apollos had the gift of preaching, the gift of, of being able to hold people's attention but his theology wasn't quite right. He, he, was, you know, he, he was great at communicating some of the gospel, but not the whole of the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila invested in Apollos and helped him. Uh, they discipled him. You know, it's like they. They discipled him, and he became uh, a church planter in the Gentile realm, which is why Paul says, hey, not only do y'all give thanks, not only do I give thanks, but all of the Gentile churches give thanks to this couple who have been integral in the planting of these churches. And so he, he goes on and starts to mention some other names, like I said, great baby name categories uh, for us to think about. Uh, the, and notice he, he mentions the first convert in Asia and how important that is. You, you, how can the church grow Right? He even said this earlier in Romans. How can they hear unless someone is sent? How can the church grow if there are no converts? What's the future of the church without the next generation responding to the gospel and being invited in to the beauty of God's work and work? And so he makes sure to mention that first convert. Again, that there, there is something very powerful about uh, the ability. It's why Glenn Taylor means so much to me. I've mentioned him before. He's that... John Wayne type character with a loose wire in his pacemaker. For, John, for, for, for him to be, for Glenn to gives me great joy. Now he is with the Lord now uh, as well, and I can't wait to hear his thoughts on how my life has unfolded as part of the great cloud of witnesses that is up there. And then he, he moves on. Uh, and, and, and really what we're missing that you don't know is he's moving between Jews and Gentiles. So there's these, these names are not all one or the other. And what he's showing is, he's weaving together, he's showing the Roman church why unity is so important. And he's doing it in a very beautiful way because these are names of people they would have known. You've got to remember, it's kind of like for those of us who are in the PCA and somebody asks you, hey, do you know so-and-so that, that works in Alaska? Well, oddly, yeah, I do, Jared Krulish. Uh, and so, um, so you know, it, it's, it's a small world. This is even smaller. We're not talking about a, a broad geography, but this is a part of a geography around because Priscilla and Aquila would have been in Corinth. Some of the folks he's going to mention that were in jail with him, that probably would have been Philippi. And so, but the, you got to remember these cities aren't real far apart. They're close in proximity. Uh, and so they, the church would have been encouraged because he's showing them this is the fruit of unity. 
This beautiful community of people from, from every tongue, tribe, and nation, this beautiful community of men and women, slave and free and freedmen, uh, this beautiful community of haves and have-nots, the elite and the not-so-elite. He's even going to mention some folks that have been redeemed out of a poison vine. And so, as he goes on, he mentions Mary, who has worked hard for you. And then he says, uh, Andronicus and Junia, who were kinsmen of his, they were fellow prisoners. And he mentions that they would have been known to the apostles. Now, this might mean the original apostles, and it might just mean the, the messengers who have come after. But the fact that he says that they were in Christ before him tends to indicate that they would have been part of the group that would have been with the apostles that may have even been witness to Christ in his lived ministry. And so he's mentioning, like, the, he's, he's showing that lineage, that those who've come before, uh, that were Christians even before him, that he has, uh, he, he didn't contribute to their Christianity. Uh, the Lord called them uh, in, in this way. He's showing how important it is for us to stay connected, for us to continue generational type ministry, not just generational in terms of children, but intergenerational within the context of, of, of helping the church to grow. We will do uh, Matt and Robbie's ordination service. I know that feels like, wah, wah, I thought they were already a thing. Well, Presbyterians are slow, and we get there sooner or later. Uh, but they'll be <laughs> hopefully finally approved at the, at the meeting in August, and we'll have a service for them. So it's a, it's a gift to our church to have invested in them for the, the future work of the church and, and its ministry. And there's people who have done the same for me. Uh, a lady at the rescue mission named Julie would not accept my application uh, to just serve, serve meals, dig ditches, and that kind of stuff. Uh, she listened to me for a second, and she said, when do you want to preach? And I said, I don't at all. What I want to do is, you know, I'm hands and feet. I, I, want to, I want a dirt church. That's what I want to be about. And she said, uh, it's a waste of time. I was like, well, what are you talking about? And she said, all right, so you'll preach next Friday. Now, Julie, you'd have to meet her. Because no was not something she understood, nor was she willing to take it. And I'm glad for the way in which she went about it, uh, because it, it's, it contributed to uh, what I would recognize to be long-term my calling. And at the time, it was not on my radar and wasn't anything I was interested in. And I uh, got to do it in one of the hardest places. If you want to learn how to preach, you find you a rescue mission, and uh, they could care less about your ego. Uh, they will tell you exactly what they think in both their habitus and with their words. And so it was a good experience. Um, and then he goes on and he mentions uh, so, some names uh, like Ampliatus and Urbanus. Now, these would have been names that would have been given to slaves. So we have no idea what the nationality of these people are. All we know is that they had been enslaved in Rome and that their names had been changed. Now, think about that for a second. Uh, think about how that, that means they, they lose all lineage. They lose all perspective on who they are to be. They are no longer connected to their former families. These, they, their practice would have been much like it was here in, in the U.S. during slavery. You break the families up. You don't let people uh, remember who they are. You take away their identity so that they are subject to you. And what's so beautiful is the example that Jesus redeems people out of that circumstance. Now, some of these folks were not yet free. 
But he redeems them out of the circumstance and grants them a lineage and a purpose far greater than they could have ever had otherwise. Now, I'm not saying, so therefore they should be thankful for their slavery. Oh, no. No, that which man has meant for evil, God has used for good in this circumstance. But remember, that which man meant for evil is the first part. But the Lord is gracious to invite them and and contribute to this beautiful community, to what Paul is doing. So think about how that would have affected folks in the church at Rome. To to hear that people who were presently enslaved, who've had their name changed, are just as worthy of honor and belovedness as all these other names that they're hearing. What a beautiful gift that is. He goes on to some uh, really interesting ones. He says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, and then he mentions also the family of Narcissus. So Aristobulus and Narcissus more than likely were dead by this time. However, you would know these names because one of them uh, served Herod, Herod the Great, and the other uh, both also had connections with somebody named These are not good people. In fact, they were enemies of the gospel, and yet this is, again, a beautiful example of that the family that you uh, came out of is not determinative, doesn't decide God's love for you. So it's a beautiful display, actually, of Ezekiel 18 and, and 33, where, or 32, where God makes it very clear, like, look, there was a, a parable or a proverb that was going around saying that the children would pay for the sins of the fathers, and it was setting their teeth on edge. And the way that it was being communicated is that it was deterministic, that it was, there was no way out. If your daddy was sorry, you were sorry. Now, that's... We think that in the South sometimes, right? And so, and so basically, they were saying that you have no hope. And it was creating, if you will, a caste system within uh, Israel. And so God sends Ezekiel to say, no, that is not how this, the gospel works. That is not at all my desire. In fact, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Repent and live. And he makes it very clear that you are not stuck deterministically by your lineage, one way or the other. And so these folks are evidence of that truth, that these these families are part of the beloved community. And then he reaches one that is uh, particularly important, which is Rufus. And you notice he he has a little bit more to say about Rufus than some of the others. He says that, that Rufus is chosen in the Lord. Now, most scholars think that this is the Rufus who was the son of Simon the Cyrene. And Simon the Cyrene, if you remember, is the one who carried Jesus' cross. He was elected to do that by Roman folks, but I think he was also elected by God to do that. It drew him near to the gospel. And we know that Simon became a believer from some historic documents and even some things in Acts. And he did have a son named Rufus. And the fact that his mother served as a mother to Paul as well is, is a beautiful picture of that. And notice this continuity and this, this variety, this diversity of the beautiful community. I even love that he says his, his mother was a mother to me as well. One of the great gifts that I have had in, both ter- in, in terms of mothers and fathers is while my father killed himself before I was born, my stepdad spent 29 years in prison and is now dead. My mother overdosed. And by the way, those, that's just the shorthand of they, none of those folks were around much. And so it has been a beautiful thing that the Lord has made my cup more than run over in terms of mothers and fathers. 
Uh, I could name many that have served in this role for me and, and have been a blessing to me. And what a gift it is to be able, that was not my, that was not the final say, you understand? Think of how, and at times it felt like fate to me. It felt deterministic. It felt like, very sternly tell me, boy, you're going to jail someday. And yet, he continued to love me. He would, that's a father figure, right? Mr. Ingram, that, that, that Vietnam vet teacher who took me to task for my perspective on Vietnam that I thought was supportive of him. He said, don't you ever speak of something that you haven't shed blood for. Now, that's intense, okay? That's a little intense. But you get what he's saying, right? You can appreciate. I, I prefer the great theologian Jimmy Buffett. Don't describe the ocean if you've never seen it. That's a little milder, but uh, his point was well taken. And so for many of you, this is true. You could point to folks who've served you as mothers and fathers and even, even grandmothers and grandfathers in so many ways. And what a gift that is that the Lord opens up beyond, so far beyond our limitations uh, of family and time and space and, and allows for us to be part of something so much greater. One of the neat things that happened when we were at New City, uh, they have a, <laughs> uh, the beloved greet time in the middle of the service, which never feels awkward, right? Uh, and, so, and so while I was standing there, a young man came up and tapped me on the back of the shoulder. He said, hey, you're Cameron. And I said, yep, do I owe you money? Uh, and he said, no, no. He said, my name's Paul. Uh, I am Joseph Kennedy's cousin. And Joseph Kennedy is a young man who used to go to our church. And I just had lunch with this past week, uh, which was, was a beautiful gift. And Paul said, man, I've been hearing about you from Joseph. I've been hearing about you from Tripp and Christy Freeman. He said, I just wanted to meet you. Um, and so it was just, it's just, again, somebody I had no idea. Somehow I've had this weird impact on this young man uh, without ever having met him. And that's not about me. It was, it was accidental in so many respects. It was just living out the faithfulness of the gospel. But look at how the Holy Spirit makes a beautiful community out of what seems limitations to us or not to him. And amen to that. What a gift it is that we get to be part of a larger family. And what's important is that we recognize that, that Paul is using this to help them see the value of their being united. Right? He's showing them how important it is to be a beloved community together, uh, to, to, to be able to be unified around the things that matter the most, as opposed to dividing over things that have already been decided, as in who and whose we are. Randolph and I just had a conversation yesterday for his elder training talking just about uh, how one of the basic human struggles is we just want to be better than everybody else. And we don't want to do much to do that, right? Notice the cancel culture. Notice, it's not just cancel culture, but just even the degradation culture. Abuse is grounded in this, is it not? Right? Instead of me having to become better, uh, I will lord able. Why? Why didn't Cain ask God, what must I do to honor you with what I can bring? And chooses instead to kill Abel and sets in motion a pattern that, has, that continues to run through every single one of our hearts. We would rather be better than become what Christ would have us to be. What Paul is showing us here is that that is a waste of your time. You will be much better suited to recognize the, the beloved community that is around you, that is invested in you, and then ask yourself, 
How might I be some of this, you can't be all of it, but be some of this for someone else? How is it that I can contribute to the beloved community with my gifts and abilities and spheres of influence and the relationships that I have with people? How can I encourage and edify and build the church up? Since I mentioned the, being a part of the post-Bill Gothard church, that, that makes it easy to, you can, it's easy to lob shots at the church. My job has been so much harder as a result of the sins of the fathers, right? And the moment I, how many of you, if I came in, I was like, all right, I'm the authority here, okay? You've made vows, uh, and you need to submit. How many of you would be like, man, that is such good counsel. I appreciate that. How many of you, when you read the hospitality letter this week, were like, hey, I think Cameron's kind of on one. Uh, it, it wasn't intended that way, right? But, but, but you need to hear. Some things need to be valued, don't they? Uh, and so it, it, it was said a whole lot nicer uh, than it could have been if you think about it, Right? Um, this is an important thing that we do when we gather together. We need to take it seriously uh, and not be casual about it as if none of this matters. It does. It matters deeply to us. And so we want to, we should want to be able to participate in that. And you may say, yeah, but how can I contribute to anybody else? I can't even hardly keep my own stuff together. That's exactly why you need to contribute. I can tell you how many of you I've heard say, I, don't, I can't disciple younger men or women because of all the mistakes I've made. Who do they need to hear from? You're still alive. You're still a Christian. You're still coming to church. They don't, how many of you just love meeting with somebody who's so much more successful and just better than you? You don't. And if you say you do, it won't last, trust me. Like, I, I, am, I appreciate meeting with people who are further along than I am, but if they're just perfect and I can't live up to it, I don't, I'm sorry. I, it's tough to do, isn't it? And so we need, there's only wounded people can serve because we all need Jesus. We are all broken in Christ. Or outside of Christ, we're healed in Christ, and that is what we have to offer. And so I, I would encourage you to be thinking about what a gift it would be, not an error. Kennesaw, Georgia, you need to grab dinner with, you need to greet this family or these folks. They'll take good care of you. You need to visit this church. They'll take good care of you. Uh, and here's somebody you need to get connected to. What a gift that would be. And that does happen, by the way. I do hear of that uh, and, and, and I'm grateful for it, uh, that we have those kinds of opportunities. Listen to what Michael J. Gorman says about this passage. He says, and some of y'all are wondering, when's he going to get to that holy kissing part? I'm not. <laughs> We're post-COVID. We don't do that no more. <laughs> Several house churches of Rome embody the Pauline vision of inclusive community. Gentiles and Jews, slave, free, and freed persons who are former slaves, elite and non-elite, men and women from all corners of the empire. Paul has relations of intimacy, collegiality, gratitude, and admiration with these people. Many are leaders in the spread of the gospel. Fellow apostles, the term obviously re referring to more than Paul and the Twelve, co-workers and even co-prisoners. They exemplify the cruciform life Paul tries to live and preaches. No wonder 
He wants the church at Rome to be united in love. So who are you? And this is also a a question. These questions are worthy of, of some good Lord's Day Sabbath meditation. So who are you contributing to the salvation of? And don't get all false modest and say, I, I don't like to brag or tell, tell tales. No, you can do this in your interior. You can do this yourself uh, and think about who are you contributing to the, the salvation of? Whether it's the sharing the gospel in word and deed or you're just praying for that person, right? That's a contribution. What a gift it is to, to, when somebody becomes a believer to hear, hey, I've been praying for you. And you don't even hardly know who that person is. And then who are you helping in their service in Christ? Who are you helping grow in sanctification, in in knowing that they are loved, loved of God and loved of this community? And think about what a gift that is to have people who are contributing to you, uh, that you are contributing to in that way. No greater contribution do I think that we can make in this world. All of these things are of eternal value. And so what a gift it is on a day when we have heard these things and been encouraged to seek to be these things that we could have our faith nourished in the Lord's Supper to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Christ who knew us before we were born. I don't know how all that works. I'm glad it's true. Christ who died for us long before we would ever come into being. That we would get to be nourished by this These elements, these common things that remind us that we ourselves are common elements. We are common instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Perfection is not even a category, you understand. So if you are willing to offer up your brokenness and your sin and your repentance and your failings and your strivings and your goodness and your hospitality, well then amen and amen, this will nourish you in that process. Because folks are hard to love. We're hard to love, aren't we? But this table says and declares for those who are in Christ, we we encourage you to partake of the table. If you know Christ as your Savior, it declares that you are beloved and that we are a beloved community. And it declares that we have been called and invited into uh, the mission to share this In our spheres of influence, the world is not yours or mine to save. We ain't got enough chairs for all that. And if the air conditioning ain't working, a full room makes it hard. But but we recognize that we've been called into the portion, the postage stamp, as it were, to which he has called us. Let us be about the Lord's business in that circumstance. We're gifted different. Some of you will do it more in words. Some of you will do it more in deed. But us collectively together will accomplish all all of those things. But not one of us has to accomplish it all. And so, the only other folks who ought not take of the table this morning, those who don't believe, you need to let the elements pass you by. But if you are currently in a, a circumstance where you are unwilling to forgive another party, you can't eat of this table because you have been forgiven. You cannot withhold what you yourself did not earn. You cannot decide what someone else ought be eternally because you are not God. Now, that's not a position that you need to stay in. I would encourage you to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If you need to come talk to some of us about that reality because you're struggling to forgive somebody, we can be of help to you, I promise.
but you need to let the elements pass by. But for everybody else, in all of your imperfections, if you are in union with Christ and you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you are at peace with God, which all of that just means the same thing, they're not separate things, you must take it as a declaration of uh, who and whose you are. And so if the elders would go ahead and come forward, let me remind you of what Jesus said to those he loved so dearly, who he had spent the most time with on this earth as he uh, was eating essentially the last supper. They didn't know it was yet called that. They saw it as part of the Passover. But he took bread, a common element that he knew they would encounter often, and he broke it. And he said this, for them, it meant that the totality of God's wrath would be satisfied against the, the, the sins of those who would be in union with Christ. It is satisfied in full. You need not ever fear the presence of your heavenly father in that way. We ought to show reverent fear and awe, which is because we are saved, not because we are scared. And as the meal went on, if you remember, he reached and he took the cup and he raised it up and he said, this, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is, this is filled with my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he was saying that they would be filled with a newness of life that would empower them to live out the resurrection in real time. It's a mixed bag because we're still mixed saint center, but we can grow and mature into the fullness of the image of Christ because of what he's done for us. So as you receive this morning, you, you have the option. You can take the, the cup that has the, the bread in it and then the other which has the juice in it. Or you can take the juice, which just has the, the wafer on top. If you have gluten, allergies, or otherwise, you, you can just take that one. Uh, but either way, if you would hold, because we're going to take together as beloved community. That is an important thing that we do here to remind us that we're not in this alone. That we are part of a diverse group of people who are being built up together and edified with the broad range of gifts, life experiences that are available to us. And what a gift that is. And so uh, when we do take together, we will follow up with a singing of the doxology uh, with Micah. But let me pray for the elements first. Father, we give you thanks for the, for the broken bread that represents the body of Christ given for us. That the fullness of your wrath was satisfied in him. That judgment fell on him so that it would not fall on us eternally. God, you do discipline us, but that is always the act of a loving father to draw us back to you. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we partake of the bread this morning, we would be nourished and reminded of how deep your love for us. And God, also, as we recognize the cup and that it, it is lavish and overflowing with the forgiveness of Christ, that it, it, it imbues us with resurrection power. May we recognize the spirit at work in us that has been given to us in and through the death and resurrection of, and ascension of Christ. So I pray, Lord, that we would be nourished deeply and profoundly to do what it is you have called us to do in our spheres of influence, to give us greater creativity and, and a willingness to not grow weary in doing this great good. Would you nourish us in the power of the Holy Spirit who brings us before the very throne of Christ in this meal? To you we give thanks, O oh Lord, in Christ's name, amen.